Fresh out the oven, it's Cinema Bums. I'm Wade. And I'm Scurvy Wallard. I'm Anna. Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie and popular film franchises, one each week to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today, we are continuing our miniseries, Denny for Two, covering every film directed by Denny Villeneuve leading up to Dune. We will fully spoil today's film, but we will not spoil any future entries in the series. Mr. Wallard, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderfully this evening. How are you doing, Mr. Walwayno? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you doing, Anna? So good. Thank you, Wade. <laughs> I'm doing especially good because we're honored to have a special guest here. You've already heard from her, but Emmett has sent me six different intros. So oh I'm going to read them all now and you can decide for yourself which one you like best. Today, we're honored to have a special guest. She's an actor, director, and visual artist, better known to our audience as the delivery driver chowing down on your fries and flipping you the bird in Charlotte traffic. (laughs) Brutal. She's better known to our audience for her work in the hit series, The Lovely Winter's Bones. She's better known to our audience for her starring appearance as the dead girl in the river from that one movie about the kidnapping. No, you did not. Okay, okay. I'm disowning you. She's better known to our audience for being the actual person who discovered what Jeffrey Dahmer was really up to. That one's true. She's better known to our audience for nearly getting kicked out of the 250 cinema during Don't Breathe. Don't Breathe 2, now available in theaters. I actually signed an NDA for that one, so. (laughs) That movie was a terrifying, that movie was the scariest movie I've ever seen my whole life. I asked them to leave the theater five different times. I was crying, and he was wow. like, no. I was too scared to leave the theater. I was like, we've started this journey. We need to finish it, man. <laughs> Today, we're honored to have a special guest. She is an actor, director, and visual artist, perhaps better known to our audience for being just the kind of person who might get involved in the kind of depicted in this movie. Please welcome Anna tomorrow. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think that might be the truest thing you've ever said about me. (laughs) I'm going to tell you guys later on when we get more into it, a very specific part of this film where I literally, my whole being was on board with what was going on and I could see myself doing the same exact thing. Oh my God. It happened multiple times, but this one is specifically. Oh, so good. There's almost nothing in this movie that that could be a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, a few times I stopped the movie and I was like, there's still two hours left. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's just like, oh my God, this movie's so long. So many of my notes are like that. It feels like it could be, not that I'm like impatient for it to be over, but it feels like it could be on the tip of an ending so many times in my brain. I was like, we could get right there if we wanted, I guess. Mm. Or we could figure something out. I didn't know. I couldn't remember how it ended from the first time I'd seen it. And Mm. I was just like, oh, my God, there's so much left. But there was like a point, like a breaking point where it all starts to just run downhill. Like it all just starts to go like you're just as fast as you can and you can't you can't stop. You're like, I just have to know what happens. I have to know. Yeah. So many of my notes are like, how do we have two hours left? How do we have an hour left? 
and you get like the final like the final actual reveal the movie has and there's still like 35 minutes left in the movie right today we're talking about prisoners anna had you seen this movie before a long time ago i don't remember when i actually saw it did you see it when it was in theaters back in 2013 i don't think so i don't think i saw it in a theater i could not tell you where i was mm. I was completely engulfed in the story. <laughs> That's right. I remember thinking it was one of the best movies I'd ever seen. But I also remember not thinking at the end I'd ever want to watch it again. <laughs> mm. I mean, to talk about catharsis, you literally get to end that movie and I feel like I lost a child. Like, I feel like I went through it. Yeah. It's just heart-wrenching. Had you seen any of the other Denny movies before? I have only seen Arrival. I've seen um, the newer Blade Runner. I decided to go on a Tinder date at 10 p.m. To see that movie? To see like a three-hour movie. Damn. I've, I've never regretted any decision more. <laughs> <laughs> this was like a minute ago. When Interstellar came out, I was like very sick with a cold. But I went on a date to see it at an 11.20 screening. That was the thing. I had a migraine. I was trying to be nice, right? So we like talk through the cr- the beginnings. And then the mm. movie started and he like kept talking and uh. I had to be like, no, the movie started. You have to stop talking. <laughs> and then he like had told me before too, he was like, he had some anxiety issues. He left in the middle of the movie oh and gosh. I was like, I don't know what's happening. Did he say anything? He just got up and. Yeah, he was, he just left and he came back and he reeked of cigarettes he had been like so overwhelmed. I think he had to go outside and have a cigarette. And I was like, <laughs> needless to say, that movie was actually really good. Yeah. Just a bad circumstance. <laughs> <laughs> Evan, how are you doing? Have you seen this movie before? I never had. No. But in some ways it feels like I have because it seems very similar. It feels like a well done version of some other very similar movies that came out in about a five year span around it. So, like, I think about Mm. Zodiac, you know, I think about The Lovely Bones, I think about other movies about child kidnappings and parents going to extreme lengths to rescue them. It's a genre Mm. that is, like, a pretty big blockbuster. I think of the Taken series, which kind of takes it to a whole different action thriller level. But it is, like, all kind of around the same thing. Do you think it's a genre or do you think it's like so deeply ingrained in our bodies that like children are like this precious commodity? Because I was thinking the same thing where um, I was thinking about children of men. Mm-hmm. And have you guys ever watched that? No. Yeah. I was just thinking about like really famous scene where like everyone kind of like it's like the Red Sea, everyone parts ways, right? For this woman. And I was like, there's something in us that's like it's messed up to obviously to kill a child or like to hurt a child because Mm -hmm. they they're like so innocent in some senses right they're not like yet of the world they're still learning Mm -hmm. about they're so precious so pure in some ways I think that we are like that's like off limits and so when you I feel like when you're writing a movie and you're like what's the most important thing what drives people to do something there's no rules right like I'm not gonna be held back and I think, like, your child is that thing. That's the most important thing to, like, someone once they've had one. Or, like, that's the thing you can yeah. feel in your in your soul, I guess, to some extent. 
And I was just, yeah. I was just thinking about that too. Like you do see a lot of movies like that, right? Like Taken or like, it's like he knows that that's important. It's the most important thing. Hmm. I mean, you could write a character to do virtually anything. He definitely knows that too. Cause like you really don't spend any time with those kids before they disappear. Like it is just trading off like, these are their kids and that's all you need to know. Yeah. It's very, yeah. Watching it the second time, the shots he does, right? Like, cause you don't see them. Yeah, you're right. You don't see these kids at all. Watching her like walk down her house out of the frame. Like you can just see maybe the top of her head. She's like right next to the car. And the mom says, I'm like, oh, wait right there. I'm going back in to get something. And I was like, oh no, I was terrified because you know, I know how movies are written. So I'm like, mm. is this where it's going to happen? And I couldn't remember anything. There's beautiful camera work throughout the whole thing, obviously. Something, I don't know if you guys noticed this, something so strange I noticed this time around was the, like, I guess, motif of, like, wood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the woods. <laughs> Listen to this. Listen to this note I have. This is my fourth note from the movie. Denny, our brutal, sinister king. This slow <laughs> zoom on a tree trunk. Yeah. Dude, right? It really see, does. Like, right? Like, because they start out in the woods. Uh-huh. You see that tree trunk that goes through that van. And then oh, those yeah. trees always across his face in the car. And then eventually the prison in the bathroom is like built with his with the wood. It's like the house yeah. where they go, where he finally goes, like all wood paneling, like all wood cabinets for some reason. And I was just like, it feels very important. And I guess like especially connected to God and Jesus, like the yeah. wood of the cross or like Jesus was a carpenter. I don't know if those things are connected at all, but I think like this idea and I, for some reason this came to me right at the end of the movie. I was like, what is that saying? He's missing the forest for the trees. And this kind of oh, idea yeah. of this whole movie, like each of them has like these pieces to this puzzle. The mom witnesses basically like a home invasion, but because she's been so drugged up, she's unreliable. Right. But if he had put that piece together sooner, maybe they would have gotten there sooner. You know what I mean? So it's like when he says, I didn't think it was important to tell you about this place. Obviously, he was trying to keep it under. But then Jake Gyllenhaal's character is like, everything's important. And I think even at the very end, when Joy says, you were there, and he finally mm. like, it hits him. Even then, Loki's like, I know where you are. And he goes to the wrong place. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he still hasn't gotten there. But the dad, he's like, I can't deal with the rules of this situation. I got to go and deal with this myself. That's it. And I think, like, maybe he could have gotten help. But then it's like, then you're dealing with the prison of the system. So, which brings me to prisoners. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we're talking about prisoners today. (laughs) Directed by Denis Villeneuve in his American debut. uh, Released by Warner Brothers Pictures. We'll talk about the timeline and all of this a little bit later, but released September 20th, 2013, written by Aaron Guzikowski. This is his first script. It was a blacklist script for a while until it eventually got made. He went on from this to create and write the show Raised by Wolves on HBO Max. Oh, about the aliens. We were supposed to watch that and never did. Wait, you and I were... I remember you talking about the show, Emmett. I believe we were assigned to watch it by someone, and I think we just fell through on that. Well, let's speak no more of it then. Yeah. Embarrassing for us. Yeah, embarrassing. The score on this is by the late, great Johan Johansson. 
Oh, who yeah. Jay was telling us about a little bit ago. This is the first uh, the first Denny movie he does the score for. Oh, it runs two hours and 33 minutes. And it was a big box office hit, which is surprising for a miserable R-rated movie. But it truly was 113 mil on a 40 mil budget. So that kind of wow. buys him the tickets to make the others. Emmett, for people who haven't seen this movie, uh, what would you tell them? It's a story of two families whose girls get kidnapped one night. One of the fathers believes that he knows that this man was involved and knows something about it and isn't telling the police. And the police have let him go. So he kidnaps this man and tortures him to try and find out what he knows. Uh, meanwhile, the cop who is kind of like assigned to the case is trying to find the girls is like being distracted by the fact that this guy is acting super suspicious because he's torturing somebody and is also like unraveling this very long like plot of this child killing couple um, as it turns out. And it all like kind of comes to a head together in a pretty astonishing sort of like an astonishingly complicated sort of way. It all comes together in the end. It was so weird. It's so weird. And there's so many things where like, wait, is this a thing now? Is this the thing that is the thing now? What's so weird is that if you watch it for the first time, I remember thinking everything was very disjointed. Like I was Mm -hmm. meeting with a lot of red herrings. Mm. Yeah. But really everything connects. So everything you think is a red herring is just part of the big story. Yeah. And like the order, I think that's like another thing, like the omissions, the way they edited this movie is very important because I don't think you actually see that guy the first time you see that van, um, the camper van, but you know, someone's in it because you see someone like, or you see your yourself in the van and you're looking out at those kids walking away from it when they first climb up on it or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. I remember thinking that, like, they did preserve the mystery for a really long time of we don't really know what's going on. We don't know who the quote unquote bad guy is or like right. who's the kidnapper, rather. I identify largely with the main character because I have a secret fear that I'm going to be like put in a mental asylum and no one's going to believe that I'm not crazy and I'm just going to be there for the rest of my life. Like, it's my worst fear. And when you say the main character, you I'm mean talking Hugh about Hugh Jackman. Okay. Is he the hero? Maybe Loki's the hero. I feel like it's one of those two. One of them. I don't know who's the hero. Maybe it's a bromance. I think Loki's the hero. I think that Hugh Jackman may be the protagonist, though. That's what I mean. Like, who goes through the biggest change? Is it Hugh Jackman? Uh, I don't know. But does Hugh Jackman change? That's what I'm saying. I don't know that he does. I don't think he does. Actually, no, I do think he does. I think he does because Hugh Jackman is a God-fearing man. Like, we know that from the beginning. There's, like, a dangling cross. Those are the biggest things mm-hmm. around his neck or in his car. He says, you've got to be ready for what happens. You know, something big is going to happen, and all you have is you to protect you. He's been preparing for this moment his whole life. His whole basement is ready for whatever apocalypse may come. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't even know what the what the full testament is going to be, right? Or the full, what's it called, when God puts you on a journey and... I wrote down, well, because I think, obviously, I think God is a big thing in this movie. Um, So all this stuff that you're describing is stuff that seems like sort of flavor at the beginning. Yeah. And then you realize kind of to your point about everything mattering that this is like what the movie is about at the end. Because then you hear, I think you hear somewhere before you actually find out who who kidnapped them. You hear um, they were waging a war against God. 
Yeah, this dead body that's in a preacher's basement was waging a war against God. Dead body in the basement. He's like, he told me he killed these 16 children. I brought him here and killed him or whatever. I also thought it was interesting on the same God strain. um, Really early on, you see a cross on Loki's hand too. Oh, yeah. He's the hand of God almost, right? Like Hmm. he's, he's waging his own war too. You have this priest who takes the law into his own hands. Right. Like, I think there's these people who believe in this God, but really they are the ones determining life and death. You know what I mean? Like, Hmm. it's the truest testament of faith, right? Your child is taken. This is what I was going to say about the me feeling worried I'm going to end up in a mental asylum. No one's going to believe I'm not crazy. Is that guy says to him in a super silent way, they only cried when I left them. Oh my God, I would have lost my freaking mind. Then yeah. they didn't believe him. I felt so enraged for him. Like I was so, it hurts you, right? He yeah. knows. He knows that man said that. No one else knows. No one mm. else believes him. It's such an incredible amount of resolve to do something you've believed for your whole life to be wrong, right? Like to hurt someone else, to torture someone, mm. to take them against their will, to make them a prisoner in the name of, saving your child's life right mm. i felt the way that um terrence what's his terrence howard is that his mm. character um you know he says this just isn't right and it's like well what is right and what's wrong and are those constructs we've just built for ourselves those are prisons we live in we live in our own moral prisons we live in um our own like you obey the the rules of the road i mean i think most important this like this thought came to me like what are we prisoners of because when she says you were there it clicks for him he gets in that car he runs down that hall he gets in his truck and he doesn't care where the roads are he gets out of that place as fast as he can Mm -hmm. when loki is met with a child being close to death you know plunge with that needle or whatever he doesn't care where the roads are. You know what I mean? He's like running red lights. He's breaking through all of those prisons, all of these constructs, right? And so I think that we have a lot of ideas about how things should work, how we should do things, how we should treat people. But it's like if something breaks down that construct, you know what I mean? Well, how do mm-hmm. you how do you go? How do you move on? Even the mom of joy. Uh, Viola Davis, is that her name? Mm -hmm. She said, we aren't going to be a part of it, but you let him do what he has to do. You Mm -hmm. know, she doesn't care. She doesn't know either, though. So like, right, because then you find out this man's a victim. He's a victim of someone else's crimes. And then he becomes tortured. Yeah. How do moral people deal with immoral people? Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't even really considered it on that sort of thematic level. But you're right. Hugh Jackman is sort of like, by any means necessary, the whole film, you know, like that is where he's at the whole time. And then Loki, on the other hand, Jake Gyllenhaal is like trying to do things the right way. Yeah. And is constantly having his faith questioned because of that. Like Hugh Jackman is constantly being like, do you even care if you're if you're trying to do things the right way? He's the one who ends up breaking down at the end, though. Like, he's the one who, like, has the freak out in the prison interrogation room and then ends up putting his own life on the line at the end. Right. But, like, even him, to an extent, he, like, the first time he deals with... um Paul Dano? It's incredible performance by him, by the way. 
Oh, that's the other thing we know, right? We know that he whispered this very incriminating statement to Hugh Jackman. And then we also know that he strung this dog up by its collar and watched it suffer. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah, we do know that. The complicating thing about his character that we haven't mentioned yet is that he has a mental disability. He does. So it's not like a creepy old man who Hugh Jackman is like holding hostage. It is like... A, a young a man, yeah. In his mind, at least. the brain of a child who can't communicate. Yeah. And to some extent seems like he might have violent tendencies, at least from what mm. we've seen. Yeah. About Loki, like, oh, trying to do things because I was going right to say, when he first deals with, he, 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 he slaps him around a bit. He's very aggressive with him, both outside and inside the interrogation room. Mm-hmm. And I think he's the same way when he finally gets his hands on the other child that was abducted, who's now a man who, like, steals children's clothes. Oh, the guy with the snakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously that kind of ends in a very aggressive push and pull where he ends his own life. But I think that, like, this idea, especially with all the, like, Black Lives Matter and defund the police stuff that's just been happening, to watch a police officer do his day-to-day... He's very, very ballsy with the way he enters buildings. You mm. know what I mean? Like, if he thinks he can get away with it, he goes inside. Those aren't the rules. You yeah. know what I mean? He's making up the rules as he goes. And to an extent, I think he gives himself that license because it's a child's life on the line. You yeah. know what I mean? He says, by any means necessary. The way he treats that priest in his own home when mm-hmm. he's walked in. What a beautiful cut to, right? Like you're in this like creepy ass basement with this priest who's like drunk as a doorknob. And then he's like, apparently killed this man. You're like freaked out for Jake. I don't know who else is in there. And all of a sudden he's throwing this priest over the edge of this door. And I'm like, is he getting taken? What's happening? I was terrified. <laughs> Cut straight to the action, kind of, you know, you don't have to, like, mosey through the let's get him back upstairs kind of thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's not, that's not legal. <laughs> so, I mean, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not upset about it, right, for this moment. But what's his line? What does he decide what's okay and what's not? I just kind of was, like, thinking about all that, you know, yeah. Well, from from the first, like, literally the first time we meet him is when he's there at the the van, and someone's got to go in and check on the van. And there's another cop who is, like, doing it the protocol way. And Gyllenhaal, like, grabs him and pushes him back. And he's like, no, 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 I've got it. And then he, like, swaggers in there. So you know, like, from the jump that there is stuff going on with this guy. Yeah, right. And then he also says, like, he says to, and he, he says you've never not solved a case. But you know that that means he's done a number of these kinds of investigations. I do think to some extent he feels... He feels the pressure that that father is putting on him and not because he's angry at him, but because he feels like he is responsible for what's going on. It is his job to do this. It is very real to him when he asks him to break the rules, hold him another day. If you can tell me 100 percent sure he's innocent, let him go. And he can't. Loki can't. Mm -hmm. And he goes and he tries to bend the rules. You know what I mean? And so I think like all that stuff is so interesting because... It's like, I went to a doctor's, this is just a dumb thing. I went to a doctor's appointment the other day and I was 16 minutes late. And at 15 minutes late, when you try to check in on the computer, it says, you can't come to your appointment. Mm -hmm. You're late. Reschedule. Just had a rough day. And I was like about to cry. And I said to the lady, I was like, I guess I have to reschedule because I'm too late. And she said, oh, just a minute. Because she's a human being, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I think like 
when humans start to make decisions around rules, they can lean stricter or more lenient. And so I think like the rules that surround a police officer's job when you deal with people who are breaking the rules to the fullest of the extent, you know, murdering children, abducting children. I'm sure that your opinion of what is okay and what is not becomes Mm -hmm. a little more lenient. I think it would for me, you know, Mm -hmm. is that okay? Is that moral? If someone breaks the moral code, do they deserve to be treated by the moral code? I mean, I think that's Hugh Jackman's argument, right? You hear him say that prayer so many times. The, um, The Lord's Prayer. The first time I really heard the crack in him, really heard the crack in him, is when he tried to say that prayer, let us forgive those who trespass against us. And he couldn't mm-hmm. finish, right? Because he's not willing to forgive, you know? He's not willing to be okay with that. Mm. Should he be? I don't know. All I know is my whole heart was with him when he drove over that barricade in that hospital <laughs> party lot. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. It's about like pushing him to what his moral limit is, but also that thing about them waging a war on God. It's like that makes him doubt his faith. Like that's the whole thing that you're saying. Like when he like breaks, like because he can't forgive because they found the thing that he can't forgive, that he's not willing to like put his money where his mouth is on that. He's like willing to do all sorts of horrible things, but he can't forgive for it. So that's interesting. I said last week, like, my take on all of the Denny movies so far is that they have kind of all been about a man who does something, like, horrible to someone else because he stops seeing them as a person. Mm -hmm. Like, he could not recognize them as another human being. And so he does, like, horrible things that he would never do Mm -hmm. to someone who recognizes human. And I felt vindicated in that take because Hugh Jackman literally has that line in this movie um, where he's talking about Paul Dano and he says he's not a person anymore. He stopped being a person when he took our kids. And I think you even see that illustrated in the opening when it opens with him saying the Lord's Prayer while shooting a deer. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it's saying, like, he has these moral codes, but those don't apply to things that aren't human. That's very astute. That's, like, the first thing we see in the movie. And it's about him, like, stopping to see some of these other people as human. Interesting. I think that that's really interesting, especially when you think of it in terms of, like, something that the police chief says. He said, we're just cops, janitors. And all I could think was they clean up the bodies and they keep all the keys. They're in charge to an extent, but Mm. their preventative techniques aren't very like, right? They're coming after the fact. They're not really there to fight the wars of things that go wrong. They're there to help you pick up the carnage. And And I was just thinking about these police dealing with things they don't understand, especially, I didn't know this, but like, especially during like defund the police, this idea that they're dealing with people with like a lot of mental health issues. They're talking people down and, and trying to get people through things that they don't really have the training necessarily to do. Mm-hmm. And the whole movie, like Hugh Jackman chooses to not humanize Paul Dano's character. Jake Gyllenhaal, who knows that this man is buying children's clothes, chooses to not humanize him like he kind of shoots him like trash. We don't really see a lot of like horrific moments. I think there's a lot of omissions around those. Even mm. when uh, you see Paul Dano's bloody bruised face um, and you see this other man kill himself. And I think the choice to have those two events be the things we really see. Mm. Like those two men are victims of the same crime that Hugh Jackman is dealing with. They are the children, if anything. Yeah. And so 
when you're looking at the trees and you're not seeing the forest. And that both of them are re-victimized by the police or by Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Yeah. And so like Mm. they're, I mean, they're being treated like the criminal in our world, right? These people who have these mental health disabilities or, or troubles and they are the victims and we do nothing to try to solve that problem. Someone doesn't abduct a child because they're an evil person. They abduct a child because they're dealing with something so terrible that they have reconciled it in a terrible way. Mm. And he doesn't go and buy these clothes and recreate these murders because he's a fanatic or because he's an evil person. He does it because his mind is trying to reconcile what happened to him. You know, and I think like when you look at it that way, I'm not forgiving people for doing crimes. I'm not forgiving people for their actions. But maybe forgiveness is the thing we need to explore more. Maybe trying to solve these problems of the mind. They're using like this brutality to deal with these tortured minds. And you can't. Mm physically push someone who it has into doing something who has a tortured mind. Mm-hmm. You know, he beats him, he beats him, he beats him. Jake Gyllenhaal comes in there and tries to beat the truth out of that other guy. And he kills himself because it's all here. It's not, he doesn't care what you do to his body. His mind is the thing that's, it's like ripped raw. The skin's out inside. You can't get to that. He's already been through a thousand deaths. Yeah. I think that really just hit me this time through watching it. I didn't think about any of that stuff before. Yeah. And I feel like that forgiveness is like sort of has to be the natural next step for Denny because I feel like so many of these movies we watched are just about like showing how dumb violence is, showing how horrible people yeah. being violent to each other are. Yeah. And I think like the fact that Incendies ends with forgiveness and this ends with at least catharsis like at least hope yeah and some sort of redemption for i would say both of the two main characters yeah that feels like the thing that like denny needs to be moving on to he has thoroughly proved his point about what the wrong thing to do is and now it's like let's see what we should be doing instead i feel like this movie is interesting in that it is that same theme that we were talking about of like child abduction but a lot of those glorify taking the any means necessary approach. And I think this film really explores it and is like, this is what happens. Was everything that he did necessary for her to find, for her to be found? Or would Jake Gyllenhaal have ended up solving it without him? Because he was kind of like mm-hmm. also on that trail, you know? Yeah, I don't know. We've talked a lot about the War on God stuff and that has given me an appreciation for it. But I do have to say that that was kind of a little disappointing to me in the moment. I was just sort of like, oh, this is what it's about? <laughs> like, I, I didn't agree. necessarily need an explanation. And when we got that, I was kind of like, oh, okay. Oh, and then I was like, oh, I guess all that stuff was purposeful. <laughs> like, I guess all the religious stuff was important. <laughs> Lol. But yeah, I don't know. That was, I just thought it was like maybe a little lackluster. Although I can definitely appreciate that it is like very tied into what the movie is doing. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Where are they? What is that? What's the town? They shot it in Georgia. They're supposedly in the middle of Pennsylvania, I believe. And it, it does suck. I mean, there's a lot of movies where they're like, it was a war on God. <laughs> it was religion. Did you see yeah. the cross in the second shot? It was religion. I don't know. I think these themes are things that are like seeded that we are bringing to it, that we are like finding our own takeaways from. 
I think the characters in this movie are things that are primarily the actors are bringing things to. This movie is pretty much all plot. Or at least, like, the script. I think the script is, like, all plot. Like, these are barely characters. They have just hired the greatest actors on Earth to play each one of them. Yeah. So it works. Well, and that's what I was thinking, too, is, like, they are biblical figures. Like, the last Mm. one was a Greek tragedy. This is, like, a biblical parable or something about loss and what you're willing to go through. You know, like, they're archetypal to such a huge extent because, like, they're about Mm -hmm. to have to handle emotions that, like, as we've said, would crush anybody. But these people are so strong. I wouldn't... I don't think they were strong. Hugh Jackman's wife literally, like, dissolves into bills. That's true. Like, she sleeps through the whole movie. You got Terrence Howard, who kind of has, like, a very strong reaction to this thing that Hugh Jackman's chosen to do, torture this young boy. But, I mean, I don't think he was very strong in that. I mean, he was strong morally, but he was a mess. Yeah. I don't know. Did you guys not feel like you really, like, felt like the characters were real? Is that what you mean, or not really that? I thought they were real. I mean, I didn't necessarily question anything they did. I just thought they didn't really have any depth. Uh, I thought they were all very kind of like on the script, very one note. But I think the actors brought a lot to them. But again, that wasn't a problem for me because this movie is so good with the plot that you're like, I was I was just like, this is what this is like. And we kind of mentioned this earlier, but it's so good at having all these little split ends everywhere that you're just always sort of like, oh, is that important? Oh, is that important? And they're all sort of like piling up in your brain. So I think it's like very masterfully written by that. I just mean that like, to me, the characters were sort of chess pieces Mm. in the game of this movie. Mm. Let's zoom out just for a second. Yeah. And let me ask, formally ask, Anna, would you give Prisoners a flop or a bop? I'd give it a bop. Emmett? Flop or bop? This is tough because it was hard to watch and I don't know if I'll ever watch it again, but I think it's a bop because it is like really, really well done. Wade, Mm. what about you? Flop or bop? Definitely a bop for me as well. This is legitimately the most tense movie I've ever seen. And and I've seen other thrillers and stuff, but I can't think of anything that like comes close to just sort of like the thrill ride that it takes you on. I also watched, I watched this like alone by myself at night while there was a big storm. So like the, you the, got the TV, full experience. the TV kept shutting off and oh I'd have God. to reboot it, um, no. which sort of like added to the experience. But I want to say like about 40 minutes in, I think it was that moment where Dana whispers to Hugh Jackman and you realize that like there is something going on at that moment. I really wanted to skip to the end and like see how it ended and then go back and watch the rest of this movie because I was just like so It's kind of, I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't want to watch it again, to be honest. Like I, I uh-huh. liked, now that I've watched it again, <laughs> I would watch it a third time, to be honest. Um. But having watched it the first time, I wouldn't want it, I wouldn't have wanted to, but I think having that second watch makes a lot more things click into place. Mm. I guess what you're saying about plot makes sense to me because all you are on is this journey. And you don't know what's important. But yeah, I I agree with you. It was like the most stressful thing I've watched in a really long time. I had to turn like all the lights on for like the last 40 minutes. Damn. (laughs) Did you? (laughs) Yeah, I like could not sit there in the dark anymore. 
That was the only only thing that got me through watching this a second time was knowing how it ended. Like yeah. I knew it didn't end with a little girl dying. You know what I mean? Yeah. So a little part of me was like, but even having, I forgot about the the drive through the night to the emergency room with his like oh my bloody God. eye. That part was unbelievable. If it was a French movie, that movie would have ended with him crashing into a car and everyone would have just been, that would have been the last shot is them being like strewn about on the snowy yeah. wood. You know, like we're just yeah. dolls in this world. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean like, th- and that's, that's like his whole thing is about the cars. Like I thought for sure there's going to be a car wreck. Mm. Because he, like, loves to throw a car wreck in there at you. That would have mm-hmm. broken me. I mean, and she was my daughter. You know what I mean? Like, I felt everything Hugh Jackman felt. I felt I I couldn't breathe. You know, I was just a wreck. And yeah. him having to be the strong man for his family. He's not getting what Terrence Howard's getting, which is a partner. He's yeah. by himself. Uh, and that's true. his son doesn't know what's going on. His son says, I smell like alcohol on your breath. But that's because he's not going to put that stuff he's dealing with on his son. Yeah. He just has this incredible resolve. As someone who struggles to believe in myself, to believe in a lot of things, mm-hmm. watching a man go through a journey of his own belief that he is going to save his daughter, you never are going to get to watch that, right? Like in real life. That's not mm-hmm. something you'll ever see. It felt true to me in that sense. And I think that's why I would always give it a bop. But I also kind of think that those things, I don't want to sound like I'm coming too harsh in this movie because I loved it. But I think like those character things are the things that don't pay off. Like the Hugh Jackman thing that we learn his dad committed suicide and that's never addressed. And then he's got a son who like clearly from the first shot of the movie has issues with him. And they like explode on each other at one moment, but that's not resolved the difference between Terrence Howard and Viola Davis and like the choices they make is not resolved. Jake Gyllenhaal's weird style and background and all of that stuff is never explained. But I that's think that true. is because that's what the actors I would are argue bringing to it. That that's not important because all that's important for them in like in real life, right? You don't explore those things mm-hmm. in real life. Fathers and sons, don't talk to each other sometimes in families. They mm-hmm. don't deal with that stuff. But we know, you know that that's unhappy, that's uncomfortable. We know that Terrence Howard isn't happy with his wife's decision and he feels conflicted. Like, I think if this was real life, Hugh Jackman doesn't have time to have a conversation with his son because his yeah. daughter's going to die. And like, so I think like all that stuff built, like worked for me. For that mm. reason, because mm. the cards on the table were so dramatic, right? Like the thing that's up there is a life. So those things aren't important. But like, I do know what you mean. But as a director, Emmett, yeah. don't you always want your story to be much longer? <laughs> if oh, this yeah. is the final cut and it's already two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wonder what, what Denny wanted it to be. <laughs> oh my God. He was probably thinking like 310 at least. <laughs> to be fair though i've watched a lot of two and a half hour movies that i've wished would be over sooner and i didn't really feel that way about this one yeah i was constantly shocked by how much longer there was left in it but it isn't ever slow right it feels like a whole tv season is what it feels like to me right it could be i think you're right yeah yeah Wait, you didn't tell us what did you find out? Okay, yeah, I'll I'll hop here into the behind the scenes drama. Okay. <laughs> 
Okay, this is what I got for this movie. First of all, let me explain the timeline a little bit because this is kind of interesting. So, Incendies comes out in 2010. In 2012, Denny shoots Enemy. He films the movie that we're going to watch next week, Enemy, in okay. 2012, which is still in Canada. Uh, okay. But it's in English. It's okay. an English-language Canadian production starring Jake Gyllenhaal as the lead. In 2013, he shoots Prisoners, which is his American debut. And then that comes out that same year in the fall. And Enemy comes out the year after. Okay. So that is sort of... I feel like this is the first time this has ever happened with one of our series, Emmett. Yeah. He made this movie after a movie we're going to watch later. Like after huh. he learned the lessons of a movie we will watch next week. Mm. That's which is interesting. interesting. And significant in this because it's like timeline wise, then he leaves Canada and he doesn't go back. He's working in America for the rest of his career so far. In terms of how they were released, we're getting his American debut and then his last Canadian movie. And That's then cool. the rest of the American films. And when did Arrival come out? 2016? 16 i think yeah. sicario is in so after he shoots this movie then he starts working on sicario which is his next american one well okay. so he'd already built up a strong working relationship with jake gyllenhaal which makes sense that's why jake gyllenhaal is so good in this movie oh my god he's so good in this movie do you like his eye twitch yes i do i think he was like i think he's got some sketchy backstory that just jake gyllenhaal knows yeah yeah i, I think I it's intense and should horrible. we petition should we petition for him to make mago a prequel give us the Just villanue the cut Loki. <laughs> well at the beginning there's this like the mom asks him if he has kids and he doesn't answer and then the whole movie i was like is that significant like and he also has these weird he has these weird tattoos he has this massive eyebrows He's got this, like, mob boss haircut. It's so weird that you say that, do you have kids? Because I remember thinking the way his face looked, I was like, he probably gets this question a lot. And mm-hmm. he's just like, no, I don't. But that doesn't change the way I do this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's probably more interesting if he lost a kid. You know? And, and maybe that's, like, the whole thing is, like, he's always trying to find his kid. That's his deep, dark thing that burns him. I think this is the first time we've ever talked about Gyllenhaal on the podcast, Emmett. No way. Other than you saying he would play you in your biopic. God, if I could, if only, if Maggie only. Gyllenhaal would play you in your biopic. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Too true. So Too true. I appreciate You're so it. Pretty. Much love. Well, like, how do you feel about everything he does here, Emmett? Dear boy. It is wild. And this is what I love about him. He's always, like, 100% in it. Whatever he's in is expressing it all on his face, all 100% of the time. His point of view, his, like, attitude with that cop, with, like, his boss is so good. Like, the scenes with him are, like, so... With the police chief are so good. And the scenes where, like, he is interviewing with Hugh Jackman... I think that, like, Hugh Jackman's a really good actor, but I think in the scenes where he's interviewing Hugh Jackman, like, Jake Gyllenhaal has him outclassed, like, significantly. Like, the levels of chess that he's playing are, like, five-dimensional. What do you think about the weird power dynamic between him and the chief? Like, the way he talks to him, it feels like he's in charge. 
Well, this movie sets up this like really interesting thing that I had never seen done before that made me like, I mean, for better or worse, feel a little bit more comfortable watching like a heroic cop in a movie, which is that they set up that Jake Gyllenhaal is a police detective who has never not solved a case. So he is like the Sherlock Holmes of this small town who has this like mystical ability. He's like undefeated. And you see that, I think, in the way he talks to the police chief. And so that is sort of also the specter hanging over this movie is like, will this be the one case that the great detective cannot solve? Yeah. Mm. And I think that also sort of makes it more bearable in that you've got these two lead protagonists and Jackman is like in this torture porn movie, basically, at the very tail end of like the post 9-11 American fixation with torture in all of these movies, you know, which is pretty miserable to watch. But that's counterbalanced by Gyllenhaal's like weird murder mystery, basically, that he's in. Yeah. And the two are like intersecting in weird ways. It's so heartbreaking to watch, too, because especially, like, for me, feeling like I identified fully with Hugh Jackman's character, Uh I was like, you've made a choice to do something terrible, justification being an immense good or saving a life, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's the ethical question, right? Or Are you allowed to kill someone to save someone? Is that okay? He never gets what he wants out of that, right? Before he gets to the point where he's figured out where they were, he's, like, almost at the point of breaking or being Mm -hmm. like, do I just let this guy go? Like, I don't know where he's going to go after that if he hadn't, if Joy hadn't escaped. He heard him say something. That's all he has to hold on to. But then you've tortured him to the point of near death. You haven't got what you wanted. You didn't save your daughter. So what does that make you? If you don't get what you were justifying it with... Then there's no justification for it. Then there's no justification. So he needs for that thing to work. Yeah, and the more he does it, the more he needs it. The more he does it, the more he needs it to work. The more he needs to do it to, like, double down. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, a little bit more in the behind the scenes. So, like we said, this is the first screenplay by the writer, Aaron Guzikowski. It was inspired by a short story that he had written earlier, which I think was published. Uh, it's about a father whose kid is killed in a hit-and-run accident. And the father kidnaps the driver who killed his kid and keeps him in a well in his backyard. That was like this dude's short story that inspired him to write this movie. He puts out the first draft of it in 2009. I think it said that it took two years to write it. And that year it gets on the blacklist, which is like the annual list Hollywood puts out of like the 20 best unproduced scripts. Oh, wow. Once it hit that, it was like in development hell, basically until it got made. It was one of those things like I feel like we talked about this with the first X-Men and some of the other ones Mm, where just mm. like everyone was attached to it at some point. Yeah. The first team who was on it, Emmett, was Brian Singer directing this movie and the two guys being Christian Bale and Mark Wahlberg. No way. Who would have been who? Christian Bale would have been the dad? And Mark Wahlberg would have been I gotta think that Wahlberg would have been the dad because Wahlberg's angrier. I don't, I don't know. know Christian Bale's pretty angry. That would not have been a good movie. But either way, I don't think it would have worked. <laughs> <laughs> and Brian Singer? God, who would ever watch a movie by Brian Singer? Both of those actors seem like such caricatures to me because of like past things that have happened to them in the media and stuff that I just feel like I wouldn't have taken it as seriously for some reason. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, they left to do the fighter. Oh. So they exited the project. Then it was Antoine Fuqua directing. And at that point, it was going to be Hugh Jackman and Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh. Those were his two who he had in the wow. cut. And that kind of languished around for forever. And the movie finally got made when Mark Wahlberg came back as a producer. He came back to the movie later and he was like, no, this script is actually very good and I'm going to see that it gets made. So Wahlberg hires Roger Deakins to be the cinematographer. That's why it looks so gorgeous. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. My final note (laughs) over the credits is Deakins in the cut explains it all. Yeah, Roger Deakins is like a famous legendary cinematographer. He's like the Coen Brothers cinematographer, isn't he? Yeah. He's the Coen Brothers and he's uh, Sam Mendes. So he did like mm. Skyfall right before this. Oh my God. He did 1917, which he won for last year, I think. Mm-hmm. And then Denny, Denny came on to work with Deacons. Oh, wow. of course he did. Who of wouldn't want to work did. with Deacons? Yeah, for real. So that's how we got him. What a star. And at this point, the actor who wanted to be Detective Loki was Ryan Gosling. Of course. But Denny was like, (laughs) Denny was like, had just worked with Gyllenhaal, like you said, Emmett. And Mm -hmm. he he was like, no, like, I'm bringing Gyllenhaal. I think he didn't even audition or ask for it. Denny was just like, came on with Gyllenhaal in mind for it. Wow. Gosling, I feel like is too pretty. (laughs) Like, Gyllenhaal feels like um, like that guy. Even though all these people were stars, I didn't feel like they were stars. That's true. I think that was important. They were all giving very real performances in this. Which, to an extent, I think you're right, Wade, that had it not been such a, like, talented cast, maybe we would have seen more of the falling through of, like, this, like, Mm kind of lack of, like, character-built script, maybe. It's, like, more of a plot-driven script, like you said. But it really is, like, every single actor is, like, an unbelievable powerhouse. Even, like, the weird little bit characters in the background of it. Yeah. Is wild. Yeah. So these are these are the changes. This is the last thing I've got here for behind the scenes. When they submitted the film the first time, it was it got an NC-17 rating. So they had to take some out, stuff out in order to get the R rating and have it released in theaters. And the things they took out were just like some specific shots in the torture scenes and some references to pedophilia. Mm. I think some references that the villains were sleeping with the children in some capacity. See, that's one of those things that, like, I'm glad they got for those. Yeah, I agree. I think that's also one of those things as, like, a true crime lover. Uh Um, You find out a lot of things you don't want to (laughs) know. But um, I think we all know that those things happen, unfortunately. And, like, that's what I liked about it. Like, the omissions of things, like... I don't want to see it. My brain goes there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of not seeing it, this is the very last thing I've got. The script ends with them finding Hugh Jackman and pulling him out of the hole. And they shot that ending. And Denny's like pitch was that he just hears the whistle. And that's the ending. So they, they let him shoot both of the endings. And they tested both of them. And Denny's was the one that won. Yeah. Chef's when kiss. He just hears the whistle. Chef's so kiss. <laughs> I think it's the best decision he made. <laughs> Legitimately. It's such like, a wildly good ending. You don't need to see that. 
Just like when Jake Gyllenhaal finds him in the bathroom, they fade out. Like, I don't need to see that. You know where my head's at? I want to know what Hugh Jackman's doing right now in that old woman's house. I want to know that he's Mm. figured out where she is, you know? And so it's like, don't make us sit through the stuff we already know happens. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Like when you hear the whistle, like a wave of relief floods over your body. You're like, he's got him. They do such good stuff too. That is good writing. They leave, they sprinkle breadcrumbs for that to end up right. He has the dream about her with the whistle. I found it, right? Very Mm -hmm. real thing to him. And then she, she has it around her neck. She says, no, she didn't find it. I bought her a new one. You know, he, you see him find it in the cave. Mm -hmm. And I think like that gives us like, perfect understanding we don't need anything else and we yeah. trust that john Hall's smart enough to find him now like we don't need to see yeah. him do it for yeah. sure the sherlock holmes of this small town is not gonna have much trouble with the old car over the well bit <laughs> yeah yeah right i was a little i was just like would they not have found that immediately like this one piece of wood covering the well right. i also was like this about this was this is the only bit i would have cut to like speed up a little bit is that like when Gyllenhaal goes into the guy who he thinks has done it house like you see on the guy's door the necklace that we have seen the Mm. the corpse of the killer wearing earlier you see the same pattern so Mm. like you are immediately like oh it's all connected there's something going on there. And it right. takes Gyllenhaal, like, a long time to figure that out. Yes. It takes him, like, staring at papers that have fallen off of his desk in the exact right pattern for him to get on the same page as the audience. That's the only thing where I was like, this dude would have picked it up quicker. That's Yeah, true. I agree with that. We are maybe a step ahead at yeah. that point. All right, rolling through our segments here. It's time for our MVP we're going to hear everyone's MVP of this movie. I'm going to say other than Jackman and Gyllenhaal. So taking our two leads off the table, who was your most valuable player in this movie? What do you think I meant? The Other Dad, played by Terrence Howard, his journey of like moral compromise, of like being dragged into this thing by a man that he is his friend and he loves and he trusts, and who they're both going through this very similar, very, very difficult situation. And then this this man who he loves and trusts makes it so much worse for him by, like, bringing him in to this thing <laughs> mm-hmm. with kidnapping and torturing this young boy. And I think that you, like, see every step of that journey in a pretty powerful performance that doesn't have a lot of strong dialogue, but there's, like, a lot of powerful shots of like what he's going through um during this and then especially that like candle the scene at the candlelight vigil like just really got me he makes some interesting decisions throughout it too yeah he's a little bit surprising in some ways he's definitely the character who i could see myself in the most i felt in this Mm -hmm. complex situation i was gonna say it's also interesting Mm -hmm. like you have a black family of a white family Mm-hmm. I think it was Quinn who told me, like, when you put race into a movie or a play, you can't, like, can't ignore it because people yeah. are going to draw illusions. But, like, the things a white man probably thinks he can do, and the things a black man thinks he can do, probably very different things in this world. And I think, to an extent, his friend is, like, pulling him into something he didn't sign up for. Yeah. But then it's like he's faced with the question, like, am I a bad father? Or you think I'm a bad father because I don't think this is right? That's not okay. 
right? Like, it's not fair for you to make me feel that. But I think I really liked the woman, the wife at the end that has, like, taken all these children. Oh, the bad guy. Melissa Leah. The bad guy, quote unquote bad guy. Because I think that, like, she's unassuming. She's not played by a major actor, which is nice, or not one that I know of, at least. So you're Mm -hmm. not really, like, eyes on her. And I think we still kind of have this mentality that women can't be violent. Women aren't a threat, you know? And I think we are all violent. I think we all are terrors sometimes. I think we're all brats, right? Like, your gender doesn't distinguish that. A woman could have the urge to kill as easily as a man. And so I just think that to have her be the final, like, gatekeeper of that, like, because even when he Jackman goes in that house the first time, he doesn't suspect her. Mm-hmm. She's like unassuming to him. He would never think it could be her. Yeah. I've got to say it like the twist worked on me even in that moment. Like I was I was shocked. I don't know. Did you see it coming, Emmett? When, it when I saw her with the hand, I was like when her hand in a rag, I was like, she's got a gun under there. He's about to get plugged. But up until mm. that point. I wasn't for sure. I knew the minute. Well, maybe it's because I, I think I knew last time the minute that Joy said you were there because in my brain, I was like, he sat down with her and drank like uh, or had a cup of or watched mm-hmm. like talked over that table. Oh, wow. They and were there. when she said it at first, yeah. I was I was just worried that they were going to think he was the person again. And I was like, so not into that. I was like, I don't want mm-hmm. that to be a thing. He immediately put, and I would have been so angry if it had taken him longer, because I think he's just so on this hunt to get there, to get there, to figure it out, to figure it out. And he immediately understands and like gets there. And I was just really, Mm -hmm. they were moving as fast as my brain was moving at that moment. And I just wanted it to happen. I wanted him to get there. Yeah. I think I just didn't comprehend like what she meant when you said you were there. Like, it wasn't like it was a misleading. I was just like, I don't even know what that is. No, yeah. And then he just realizes it and runs off. Well, because you think, like, I think when she looks at him, I also thought she looked afraid for a second. But it was because, like, I think everything comes back to her all at once, all those memories of being abducted and everything. Yeah. But to think, like, oh, oh, it just hurts my heart to think that, like, she was there and she heard him and she was like, oh, he's here, like, he's going to help us. And then he doesn't know, you know, and just, like, it just got me real good. My MVP, like we said, they're all great performances in this. Both of the wives are great. Viola Davis especially is incredible. And the moment when she gets into the plot, that's, like, when the movie starts cooking with gas, basically. Mm -hmm. And Hugh Jackman's wife, Maria Bello, I just want to say, was in this other movie called A History of Violence, which is kind of like a similar dark adult thriller. Hmm. And when I was like in middle school, it was one of the only R-rated DVDs we had in our house. (laughs) So I like watched it at way too young of an age and it truly scarred me. (laughs) And she's (laughs) she plays like a similarly sort of like hurt housewife in that and, and is very good with both. Anyway, my MVP is David Desmalchian, who is like the creepy guy who they think has oh, done it. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to, it's also because I particularly like this actor and watched this movie at a point where this really kicked in. He like has a very distinctive look, 
Like, if you don't know the name, he plays a lot of bit parts, but, like, look him up and you'll recognize him. Apparently he's in The Dark Knight, but I don't know who he's he plays. He's in The Dark Knight and he plays a similar role, because in The Dark Knight, he is a person that they track down thinking that he might be the Joker, and then he turns out to just be, like, some crazy veteran, and mm. the Joker has convinced him to, like, shoot people. Oh, yeah. And he is the one, like, shooting people in the crowd. Is he the one who Harvey is torturing, like, in the back of the van? Yes, yeah, and they're like, that guy's crazy. Like, don't even bother with him. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so he's from that, but, like, I know him mostly from the Ant-Man movies, where he plays a very small supporting role, but he is so funny in those movies. He's, like, absolutely hilarious. Oh, I have to go back and watch it. It's, like, him and T.I., so... Oh, he's his friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I did not even recognize him. That's crazy. He's like part of the con squad in those two movies. His stuff in those movies really cracks me up. And I'm always like, that's my guy. He's so funny. And this last week, right before I watched this movie, I watched him in the Suicide Squad, where he's like one of the main characters and one of the best parts. He plays Polka Dot Man (laughs) and has this like incredible emotional arc in the movie. (laughs) Oh my god. So I was very high. I was very high on him. Actually my my background my phone background is fan art of Pokemon Man right now. Oh my god. And then I saw him in this movie and he just like I feel like this movie uses his look definitely to do like most of the work. But like the scene where Gyllenhaal comes to the door and he's trying to play it off like he's innocent and they've never seen each other again or before, like That scene is so good. And you can tell, like, just from those 30 seconds that, like, that is an actor who has worthy skill to be going tit for tat with Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Even if he's not in that much of the movie. For sure. Yeah. He's my MVP. I thought he was really cool. Yeah. Pretty much all we've got left is our quiz. So I guess before we do that, do we want to hear, give our final thoughts on this movie? Anything else we want to mention before we play a little quiz and get on out of here? I guess my final takeaway from the whole movie was just, you know, it's called Prisoners. That made me think, like, well, who's a prisoner in this movie? And obviously, like, the kids and the boys that are men now, but also become prisoners. But then it just made me think, like, what are we each prisoners of? Mm. And I think, like, for most of the characters in this movie, they are obviously dealing with the prison of their faith or, or their morality or when does that become helpful and when does it become harmful or what are the prisons that we each construct or live in? Mm. What about you? The last thing I want to say about this, like I, I thought this was good, hard to watch, but good, worth watching, really interesting take. The one thing I want to leave y'all with is that right before I watched this movie, I was talking about it to my friend and he was like, Oh, you mean the one where they're on the boat the whole time? And then he was like, wait, 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 forget that, forget that, forget that, forget that I said that. And I was like, what? And he was like, sorry, I'm sorry, like I spoiled it. (laughs) And I was like, wait. And he was like, no, 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 don't think about it. And I was like, so then, of course, the whole time that I was watching the movie, I was like, what? When the hell is it going to turn out that they were actually on the boat the whole time? And then we're like 30 minutes in, like towards the end of the movie. And I'm like. Uh, he like looks at this movie and was like, "Oh, this is Prisoners." Yeah, that's not the same movie. And I was like, "Oh my god!" 
What movie was he thinking of? I have no idea. I have no idea. So I was waiting for the big twist, you know, the Denny Villeneuve twist where it turns out they've been on a boat the whole time. Oh, man. Yeah. Wade, what are your final thoughts? My final thoughts is that, like, this movie just rocks. Like, this movie is such an incredible thrill ride to watch and go on. And I feel like there is like all this stuff we can talk about it and we have, I'm sure we could talk for a lot longer about all this stuff too. And that's there and it's cool. But like at the end of the day, it is like that it just works. Like it does such a good job of stringing you along. And it's definitely cool to me because this is the first movie we've seen that Denny didn't write. Mm, He writes mm -hmm. all of the French movies Mm. and he doesn't write any of the English movies and like how much of him I could still clearly see in it. You know? Yeah. And I was really sort of like asking myself throughout the movie why the violence in this did not affect me as much as in some of his other movies. Mm. And I feel like maybe it's just because this one is like a little more firmly in a genre. And I kind of expect that from this genre. Like from this sort Mm. of like dark adult cop thriller. I just sort of expect there to be like some messed up things happening to innocent people and like a little bit of brutal, realistic violence. So I think for those reasons, Mm -hmm. even though it is like as dark, if not darker at points, I mean, we didn't even really talk about Dana's face when you see him beat up, but he looks like a monster. He looks so scary, but I feel like I just like knew the framework we were playing in basically. Hmm. And that made it feel a little better. What's the quiz? The quiz is, Bums the word. Uh, and today we're going back to an old uh, an old source. I've gone on IMDb and looked up this movie, Prisoners, and I've taken the six movies that IMDb thinks is most like this movie. Okay. So I'm going to, uh, <laughs> as we go along here, I will give you hints for each movie, and then whoever gets it first gets a point. I do have a tiebreaker if we get there, too. And I will say that I have taken out all the other movies directed by Denny on this list. So these are really thematically connected movies. Let's get started. Movie number one. This movie is the 2014 film. It is from, I would say, sort of the adult thriller director. And this movie is like that director meeting with a famous mystery writer uh, to tell a story. It's adapted from a book. And uh, the author, the screenwriter also wrote the book. Both the book and the movie were huge hits. Is it The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? Is it Zodiac? No, it is not. Not either of those. Is it Gone Girl? It is Gone Girl. Damn. Well done. Well done. Uh, Movie number two. Now, this is also from 2014. This is a movie I have not seen, but I know Emmett has because he talked about it on this podcast. I don't know what is giving away too much about this movie because I haven't seen it. So this is about someone who records violent events late at night and sells the footage to a local news Oh, Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler. Yes. 
It is Nightcrawler, also starring Jake Gyllenhaal. I love that movie. That's Riz Ahmed's like breakout, right? He's so good. They're both so good in that movie. Okay, one for one. One for one so far. Still anyone's game. Uh, movie number three. This is another thriller. It's based on a real life event. Is this Zodiac? It is Zodiac. I hate you. <laughs> well done, Emmett. Well Thank done. you. Also starring Jake Gyllenhaal. Number four. This is, uh, I guess, also a thriller or maybe a mystery. It is from one of the most prolific directors who is still alive. And I would say it stars probably like the most prestige actor we still have alive. This is from 2010. So this is sort of as this specific actor is starting to like take more adult roles and figure out what he is going to be as a movie star. Is it Shutter Island? By Martin Scorsese. It is Shutter Island. I haven't seen that. Starring Leo. You're killing it tonight, Emmett. I haven't seen that. Isn't that messed up? I have only seen part of it. I watched it like at a sleepover <laughs> in high school. So I'm sure I did not appreciate it for what it was. Okay. The score right now is three Emmett, one Anna, but we've got two left. It is still anyway. my ride or die. I'm either going to make it or shake it. Okay. This film is from 2006. It's written and directed by a a genre director. It's also based on a novel. It is... uh, I want to say things about this movie without giving it away. It is like this movie. It has two leading men who are kind of both on their own journey and also in competition with each other. I'm so bad at this game. One of the two leading men is one of the two leading men in this movie. Is it The Prestige? It is the oh, prestige. The movie is so good. This has been an answer two weeks in a row. <laughs> that is such a good movie. You guys should watch that and talk about it. Oh my god, I would love. We to. almost did Nolan when we were looking at this. Was the slot for like long, serious adult director? Yeah, and we were looking at Nolan, and then we went for Denny. Damn. Well, Anna, thank you so much for being here with us. Being back. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, anything much. you want to plug while you're here? Anywhere? Anywhere that people can find you? Um, you can find me at Anna Demaro on Instagram. Stay tuned because there will be some uh, art Instagram slash Etsy stores coming up real soon. So oh. if you like that kind of thing, you have a great time. Nice. Very exciting. I love your art. <laughs> I always love it when it pops up. Well, thanks, guys. This was so fun. Next week, we're back talking about Enemy. And in 47 weeks, we're going to be talking about Jordan Peele's Nope. And remember, Bumtober is coming. Send us your suggestions and stay frosted, friends. Bumtober, Anna, any suggestion just off the top of your head for a series you'd like to see us cover? The Silence of the Lambs. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Cool. Good. Good. Feels cool. right. Okay. Well, well love thanks, you guys. guys. Bye. Bye. Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcasts. It is created and produced by Emma Temple and me, Wade Lawrence Holloman. I also edit and mix the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. 
If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week.